Hi, and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. I'm Brian, your host, and this week's guest, we've got Joseph Morgan. You will know that name from the Vampire Diaries and the originals. But this week, I'm interviewing him about his brand new show coming on to Sky One called Brave New World. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and please like, share, and subscribe either to our YouTube channel or our podcast. And as always, our podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at PropStore.com. So check them out, PropStore. If you're after a genuine used prop or costume piece from your favourite movie, this is the place to go. And also they've got a great auction coming up in December. So hop onto their website, register for the auction, and I'm sure you'll get some amazing pieces in December. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Joseph Morgan. Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe. Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we've got an amazing guest uh, coming up very shortly on the 2nd of October. Uh, it's already been seen in the States, uh, but they're leaving the best till last on the 2nd of, 2nd of October on Sky One. We've got the wonderful Brave New World and we've got the wonderful actor, Joseph Morgan, the star of Brave New World. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And how's life treating you at the moment? I know you've probably been asked this every single interview, but for the fans out there, uh, how are you keeping yourself busy? Um, you know, I'm trying to stay creative, man. That's the thing that keeps me sane. Um, so uh, I've been doing a lot of writing. I've been writing a horror film, oh, which um, I'm planning to uh, direct. I don't know if you know this, but I have a little production company with my wife and we've made a few short films that have gone to festivals and I directed on the show I was on, the originals. I did yeah. three episodes. And so uh, it's a passion of mine, directing, and so I'm writing this. I've been, I've been into a, a world of horror over the wow. last uh, year in my mind as well as in the real world, you know? But I know the pandemic is a horrible thing, but I suppose on the flip side, it's a giant reset button on humanity. But you know the creative uh, you know the creative side of things coming off the back of this there's going to be so many more films and and theater productions and books come come coming out which is going to be fantastic so i suppose there's always a silver lining um so let's um before we go into brave new world uh, because you're english well from wales um I'm, I'm born in england and then i grew up in wales Right, okay. And you go over to the States, you make it big. Um, so upon graduation from the Central School of Speech and Drama, Peter Weir uh, snapped you up. Is that normal to happen uh, straight away from graduation? You know, like you hear about it. Uh, like the big one for me when I was in drama school was a few years older than me in, in Guildhall was Orlando Bloom. And right. so it was the talk of all the drama schools when he got snapped up for Lord of the Rings, you know, it was like, oh my God, this is, you know, incredible. So it really was like, kind of like a dream come true when I, um, 
when I got uh, that the Peter Weirfeld Master and Commander and was off to Mexico. And I'd only been abroad about twice in my life, you know, to France and Amsterdam wow. with my parents or whatever. So, <laughs> and, and, and actually I'd been on a skiing trip with the school to Canada. So like to go to Mexico <laughs> and be on this movie for five months was incredible. Yeah. That is awesome. And what, what, what was it like at the Central School of Speech and Drama? Because I've had a few fen- friends that went to RADA and Lambda and um you know what what was it like did they prepare you you know for what you know you're experiencing now in some ways they did yeah you know what you learn is a huge toolkit of techniques that then you can cherry pick from find the the process and the method that works for you but they certainly teach you a process so Uh, The idea is, you know, hopefully that you go in there with some talent and you learn ways of breaking down a script, ways of tackling character of, 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 uh, you know, of, of, figuring out how to how to refine your performance and all of that kind of stuff. So it is useful in that way. One thing I will say from my time there is it's very theater based. So I I believe we only had about a few hours of, uh, of on-camera training and that's been most of my career since I left has been on camera so uh, I think I, I don't know what it's like now but I'm hoping that they uh, integrate a little more camera training into it as so much of the work comes from that. And what did you take away from Mads, Master and Commander because obviously that, that's, that was your first big thing I mean what sort of lessons did you take away from it? I mean, that was my first thing, man, like straight from drama school. <laughs> I missed the, the last term of drama school to go and film in Mexico. You know, um, I, I get, I mean, so much, it, it really, you know, such a kind of life-shaping experience. One of the things I'll say is is it's quite easy early on to to kind of feel, to accept it as a new norm, especially if you're young, you know, like, okay, I'm in Mexico, I'm filming this film, this is how my life's gonna go now. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, why have they called me to set? They're not ready for me. And this is, you know, ridiculous. And I remember a British actor, James Darcy, took me aside, like at the first hint of that from me, listen, (laughs) we're very, very lucky to be here making this film and to be part of this kind of creative process. And so, you know, that's not the attitude to take with it. And I thought, oh, okay. Oops. Yeah. And that, that really stuck with me then through the rest of it. Um, And then one other thing I, I, I took away very early on in my career, my second job was, uh, 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 dramatic adaptation of uh, Henry VIII with Ray Winston. And I've since worked with Ray again later on in Ben-Hur, but in that early time, I just remember him being so adamant that it was uh, like it takes a village on set and don't treat me like I'm sort of with these kid gloves, like, oh, let's get Ray out of here and then we'll shoot these shots on the background. Like I stayed till the scene's finished. I'm part of the whole thing. And And it just made me think that's how... I want to be on set. Like the whole thing should feel like a team effort. Everyone should support each other. And that way we feel more comfortable, you know, in doing our jobs. That is awesome. And Ray is such a character. He just seems so effortless in, yeah. in his acting approach. But looking back at your career and going from casualty to Hollywood, I think casualty, to explain it to the American viewers and lis- listeners, casualty is a bit like the British version of ER. Um, but, 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 <laughs> I think that's a stretch, but yeah, maybe. It, 
It is, but the British families out there would would play the game of guess what's going to happen at the start of every episode. You get a guy going up a tree with a chainsaw and you're thinking, oh, you know what's going to happen there. Um, But your road to Hollywood, you know, how easy was it? I mean, did did it scare you? I mean, did you have any bad experiences, uh, good experiences? I mean, how was it for you? You know, um, it was it was a bit of a roller coaster because, uh, like I said, you know, I came from drama school and went straight into Master and Commander, and I'd seen what happened with Orlando Bloom. So I was like, right, I'm on the rocket ship. <laughs> See you later, guys. I'm if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> you know, and and I did. I I've always managed to to work to make a living as an actor, but I've had long periods in between during the you know, the beginning half of my career, which I would say basically is leading up to, leading up to Vampire Diaries really, was the period where I would be always working, but in and out of work, you know, there'd be big periods of time where I think, am I ever going to work again? And then something would happen at the last possible minute. And I think, oh, I knew I was going to get something, but you know, (laughs) you're fighting for it. And uh, I've always... Um, I've always been a fan of American film. You know, Tarantino was what inspired me early on to want to direct and write. And then I thought I'll get a background in acting first and that'll help me move into that. And that was how I started acting. And then I kind of fell in love with acting for a long time and moved away from it. But yeah, it's been, it's been up and down. I've been back and forth to America since Master and Commander. I went there I went to LA when I was in Mexico filming Master and Commander to get an agent. And I did get an agent who then later became my manager. And I'm still with him to this day. Um, And I went back over the years, you know, trying to grab a job, but just staying for a few months at a time. And then I was doing casualty, you know, after periods of like getting work and not getting work. And it was during casualty um, uh, that I landed the role of uh, Ben-Hur, in a TV um, adaptation of Ben-Hur, you know, a two-part television thing. And I thought, okay, this is my chance now. This is my golden window. So I went straight from doing Ben-Hur out to America and I still had that manager and I got a new agent out in America. And there was this big window before Ben-Hur came out um, where I could dine out on it. You know, you could, I'm going to be Ben-Hur in Ben-Hur. And you know, I got signed to a great agent and I just started securing jobs. I managed to get Immortals, which was that film with Mickey Rourke. And then I did another indie film. And then I, I stumbled upon um, Vampire Diaries. And I thought for a long time I wasn't going to do telly. I thought like I'm a diehard film guy. And then my, my best mate, Matt Ryan, who is, uh, he plays Constantine in, in the series. Do you know what? He, he is a lovely guy. I've met him a couple of times. You, oh, and- yeah. And do you know what? The first time I met him, I actually sought his phone out for him because because, because he was having difficulty with it. Did and you? Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's always at the conventions, you know, in Wales. Oh, in, yeah. Well, they've just moved moved it to Telford, but uh, yeah, he's just just a diamond of a guy. He's lovely, oh, really he's, nice. Yeah, top bloke. So we've been good mates since we were sixteen. But he came out to the states as well off the back of uh, doing Hamlet with Jude Law and he got himself on a TV show that was a spin-off of Criminal Minds with Forrest Whitaker and he was earning big money and he was doing the you know he was in people's living rooms every week for this show and I thought actually 
I might have been thinking all wrong about TV and it feels like that's the way things are moving now. So I started going up for telly and that's when I got Vampire Diaries, which really changed my life, you know. From that point then, I got this huge ravenous fan base and went on to do my own show, The Originals, and it, yeah. it sort of skyrocketed things for me, within that demographic at least. And why do you think the Americans like the British actors? Because they do, don't 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 they? they? Do, don't they? You know what? What do you reckon it is? Do you think it's the training? Do you think it's the accents? I mean, I think it's the tr- the training. Certainly, it's like treated as a craft, and there's, you know, um, there is a reverence for that, definitely. And then I think the accent as well. You know, people go on and on about my accent here, which would be nothing special at home, yes. but it's a novelty here. You know, but the thing um, is, though, you've you you've got quite a a posh accent to be fair i, I mean i i interviewed jane seymour uh, right. a couple of nights ago and her accent is like literally queen's english i'm from the midlands so for me my accent's sort of all over the place but i suppose uh you know you look at hugh grant and people like that it's proper like but yeah you, you you're right you go in the middle of new you know in america I've, I've i've been to dallas and went to a coffee shop ordered a coffee and everyone looked around as if like some some something exotic was there, and it's hilarious, honestly. Like you remember in Love Actually when he's going like they're, they're getting him to say things like say spoon, he's like spoon, they're like, yes. oh! or, or 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 cheerio. For yeah. some reason, the Americans say say cheerio all the, all the time. You're like, why? And then when you say it, you think, oh yeah, it does actually sound very very British. Um, so let's so let's talk about this this new show that's coming out on the 2nd of October. Uh, if anyone's seen the tra- trailer, visually, it's just epic. Uh, in, in America, it's already been aired and it's had rave reviews. So I don't want to spoil it, spoil it too much for the UK listeners, but for the American listeners, you will know exactly what's happened. So you'll know more than me. So please, if you're going to tweet about this afterwards, please, um, yeah, don't spoil it for me. Um, so if you could describe the show for the listeners and who you play. Okay, so Brave New World is based on a novel from the 1930s and it takes place in an alternate future. And in this future, it's, uh, it's mostly set in New London and babies are now born from test tubes. They're engineered and they're given their place in society, their, their, their class, if you will, at birth. So some of them at the top of the pecking order there are alphas right? And they live a very debaucherous lifestyle. It's very promiscuous. There's no monogamy. There's no privacy, but their life is a one long party and orgy and just endless kind of superficial fun. And then it goes all the way down the, the, uh, the food chain, the betas, the deltas, the gammas, and at the very bottom are the epsilons. And the epsilons are one egg is split into 96. So a lot of them are identical and they clean up after the alphas. Basically, they're, they're like the caretakers in this society. Their emotions are suppressed with alcohol and they sweep up, they clean toilets, they do all the awful jobs that the alphas don't want to do. And my character, C-Jack 60, is an epsilon. And so there's a lot of epsilons that look, look identical to me uh, in, in the show, which is kind of interesting, was interesting to film. Um, And basically there's a traumatic event that happens in the first episode and it causes C-Jack 60 to start feeling emotions. And that's something which his kind don't do. And through the course of the series, 
and the arrival of a savage from outside New London, John the Savage, uh, played by Alden Ehrenreich, um, see Jack Sixty starts to question his place in society, his reality starts to go, you know, why are we the Epsilons doing all of these terrible jobs? Why are we the oppressed in this society? And what if I could change that world? And so that's, that's what the show is about, them sort of trying to break down this society in New London with the help of John the Savage. So that could be London in the uh, near future. Uh, <laughs> what Perhaps, do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, the amazing thing about this show was we we filmed we filmed in Cardiff in these studios, but we filmed some of it in London as well. Our first day of filming was in the Walkie Talkie building, and they shot all the skyline of London. And then you see in the show they've enhanced the skyline to create this new London. You know what London would be was you know built up like that, and it's so incredible to see that. <laughs> and how did you prepare for the role of C. Jack Sixty? Uh, because obviously, if you're playing lots of different roles in it, did you have to act differently, or was it a case of they were all acting the same because you know they were identical, or was it was it was it different? Well, C. Jack Sixty is different because of this traumatic experience he has, so right. he's the odd one out. Then, so what I did to prepare for him was. I started from a base of uh, sort of like a child who experiences everything in the moment. They don't think too much about the past or worry too much about the future. They really are very present. And that's what I wanted for C-Jack 60. You know, so each emotion that he starts to experience is a new thing for him and he's discovering it in that moment. And I really wanted a sense of that throughout. So he grows as he develops this emotional vocabulary. And then for the other C-Jacks, uh, you know, I, I just let, kept it at that base level of them starting to experience things, but letting them go instantly as they happen, rather than C-Jacks starting to question them as they happen. Mm. And the, the logistical process of that was interesting. So I'd shoot a scene where I'm C-Jack 60 is sitting at a table with other C-Jacks and we'd shoot it with main unit. And then I would come back about two weeks later and they'd have the footage cut, what they, the shots they wanted to use. And I would, with a B unit and some green screens, recreate the body posture of all the background artists who were sitting in the C-Jack costumes. I'd, I'd watch them very carefully and recreate those postures. And then they would cut out my face with visual effects and re replace it on those background artists. So then they all had the same C-Jack face. Wow. Because I saw on your Instagram, I, th I think it was on your Instagram, that you had some uh, actual prosthetic heads. There was masks as well. So and what they, they would awesome. do is they, yeah, they give them the masks uh, especially in the group scenes or if someone was out of focus, they could get away with just using the mask. Yeah. If not, the mask would be a starting point then for them to, you know, use uh, special effects to put my face over the top. But they were pretty crazy, those masks. Expensive as well. I had to have the full head cast mold and, you know, with just the breathing holes where they cover your head in essentially what's like plaster of Paris, you know. Do you know, do you know what? I'm, look I'm looking behind you to see if I can see any. Did you keep anything from, from the set? Or <laughs> I was desperate to nick one of those masks. They're like 10 grand each, so they kept them in a lockbox. That is you know. fine. I'm sure they won't miss it. No, that's what I mean. And walk off. 
and then think it. it's you. <laughs> exactly. Just just yeah. walk up. Well, what I'm thinking is now they get if they get a season two, they're going to try and cheat me out of it because they got the mask. They did the whole visual oh. scan of my face. They don't even need me. They just but, carry on. But the question is, if you played more than one character, did you get paid for more than one character? Well, this uh, would, um, not for more than one C-Jack, no. Okay. And to say anything else would certainly be a spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yes. <laughs> so who do you think this show appeals to then? Because it was based on a book from 1931, which yeah. really shocked me, good old Huxley. Uh, did you read the book before you actually took the part? Uh, yeah, I read the, no, I read the book before I shot the show. But right. I read the two scripts and I hadn't read the book as part of, it wasn't part of my curriculum or anything. So I was really familiar with 1984, which is often said to be the flip side of this. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't read the book. And in fact, um, you know, honest, quite honestly, I enjoyed the scripts more than I did the book. I, I feel like they brought them up to date. You know, they brought the book up to date. And what they took from the book was really the world as Huxley imagined it, and then a starting point for the story. But if you see our finale, it's really nothing like the end of the book and it leaves doors open to keep going. Um, I think that this show is, you know, it's, first of all, you're correct, it's visually incredible. Mm. Uh, it's for anyone who wants any kind of escapism that shows us another version of, of the world that might be. And for me, the one thing that it has is that this is a version we haven't seen before. There's a tremendous amount of post-apocalyptic drama out there and dystopian drama. And this is, I would say, more utopian, at least at first view. It seems like the perfect society until you start peeling back the layers. But there's really no parallel I could draw between the way this future is painted and another show. It's completely new. And that came across even in the script, which is what excited me about it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, the part, it was an interesting process signing up for it. You'll see when you see the show, see Jack 60, we kind of touch base with him through the first eight episodes. So he's sort of a small but integral part until the finale where he just is all the way through it and kind of blows the world wide open. And that was a pitch given to me early on with the potential for this finale. And then should we go into a second season where that would grow into this, you know, this driving force of the show. So it was very interesting to be, after going from kind of heading up my own show to go into this slow burner of a role that would explode yeah. at the end, you know. So when we talk about your fan base, uh, because we've got a few fan questions um, no. your fan base is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, how does it feel like having the amount of followers that you have got? And does it change the way that you manage your social media? Yeah, it has to really, you know, when I started on Vampire Diaries, I realized, you know, I, I was aware of Twitter before then. And then I saw these guys, because that was already a hit show when I joined it. I saw these guys with their... Twitter following and I thought hey they, they're onto something here this is actually quite useful and I signed on to Twitter before airing on Vampire Diaries and I asked Nina Dobrev one of the cast to can you tweet something just saying this is the guy playing Klaus because they talked about my character before he came on and she did I think I got like 22,000 overnight without wow. even being air, having aired on the show and so I used to um, be more engaged in it, you know, posting every day. 
but I found I had to distance myself from it slightly because it's a beast, you know, and you start being very concerned with what everyone thinks. And there's no way that you can please everyone because there's opposing point of views on there. And, you know, then it starts infringing on your personal life as well. And so I found, you know, I do try to stay quite engaged now, both on Twitter and on Instagram, but I found I have to do that slightly more at arm's length because people are so diehard about the shows and your character and your character's romantic interests and your character's family and what he thinks of this character or that character, they confuse it with real life. And that for me, I have to sort of draw a line now between my real life and my on-screen exploits. At the end of the day, this is your job, isn't it? Like like, like I've said to many stars I've interviewed, is that you clock off at the end end of the day. You know, do do you get many autograph hunters like chasing you around anywhere or... Or are you quite um, good with that? You know, it's more, I, like only really, only autograph hunters at events, really. Um, and, you know, at the upfronts and so on. Autographs, you, you know what's happened now is autographs are a thing of the past. And I kind of got profile after that phase. Because once camera phones became something everybody had, it is literally always, can I have a picture? And... That's both a good and a bad thing. It's a bad thing if you're feeling shitty and you don't yeah. want to, you know, oh, lots of, oh. yeah. there's so many bad photos of me out there like that. It's a good thing because it's a punctuation. So you have a great little, tiny little engagement with someone who's a fan of the show or whatever, you know, so nice to meet you. And, and this little moment that's punctuated by the photo and then that's done, you yeah. know. And so that can be a, a, quite a good thing as well. I find... Um, it's if I'm walking about like in London or in a city then it does it does tend to be every day but it's not like I'm normally chased down the street or something like that you know not yet (laughs) (laughs) not yet so let's do some uh, fan questions so we've got Molly Rook Uh, this is from Instagram my question is uh, what was your favourite thing about making Brave New World my favorite thing about making it was definitely shooting the finale because like I said, all the way through, we just kind of touched base with him and I loved the character, but like when I was on Vampire Diaries, I wanted more stimulation. I wanted to be involved more. And that's what the finale gave me just to really dig my teeth in and be full, a a full lead of the show in that one episode. And that's what I, what I was looking for, that level of engagement. And so certainly being able to explore the character and also because, you know, the finale is by rights, the most climatic and dramatic episode of the show. And so, yeah, that was I can, it. I cannot wait. I have actually been told a few few things, but obviously I won't say it. So uh, I can't wait to watch it. Um, this is from Caitlin R. Thomas. Um, if you were able to cast Persia in Brave New World, which character would she play? Mm, mm. Interesting. Um, you know, like, she would be good as, I think she would be wicked as Helm. Uh, right. That character is, um, she is 
an alpha and she runs these kind of huge parties and she's very, very kind of theatrical in the way she does that. But then there's this very human side of her, um, which we see only behind closed doors. And I'd love to see Persia have a crack at that. I mean, she's my favorite actress. So like, like we've collaborated so many times. So I, I really believe like she can do anything and I love to watch her in, in any kind of role, but at this moment, that's what comes to mind. That's awesome. And Ella Wolfgirl18, what a name. Um, I, think, I think you've already answered this. My question is, what was your favourite scene uh, to film when filming Brave New World and why uh, from Ella Barker? Oh, her name is Ella Barker, not Ella Wolfgirl. Um, so you've already answered that, I suppose. It's a finale. So um, I'm sure if Ella is UK based, uh, she can see it on the 2nd of October. Or yes, she probably knows. The last, uh, the last scene, my last scene in the finale, or there's one scene, which I won't spoil for you, but it was in episode six and it's on a beach. We filmed it on a beach in Port Talbot, and that was just the best day. Going After being in the studios the whole time, going to this beautiful beach and filming there all day, and the scenes were so, it was two scenes we shot there back to back, so good and so much fun. That was one of my favorite days as well. That's awesome, episode six. Mark that down. Uh, then we've got the King Joseph Morgan. I love these names on Instagram. They're awesome. Yeah. Uh, who, who, who did you love working with the most in Brave New World? Um, I loved working with Harry Lloyd, uh, who is just over your left shoulder there. He, yep. Yep, he plays Bernard. And I love that because we kind of bookend the show together. We have some scenes at the very beginning, and then we have my favorite scene in the finale my favorite in terms of how it turned out the work like if i was gonna if someone said give me a show reel of what you think is your best scene in brave new world we're looking to employ you that's the scene i would give them that's awesome and then we've got one from uh dessa uh, uh yeah dessa if you had a choice would it still be uh, would you still be an epsilon or alpha I'd still be an Epsilon because there's something about the underdog, man. He's got a ladder to climb and you want to see him go up it. <laughs> and the last question from the fans, Katie Lester, uh, how has the Vampire Diaries impacted your life? And do you still get asked about Hex? <laughs> Katie Lester, man. I know that is. She's been at a bunch of conventions. Uh, yeah, I, the Vampire Diaries changed my life, like I said to you. You know, it was yeah. a turning point in my career, certainly. Um, and it, since then I felt like I haven't had to worry about work. It's been more about what's the right job as opposed to like, I've got to get an acting job. It's been my, what's the right job for me next. Um, and, uh, only Katie Lester still asks me about Hex. Let it go. <laughs> Katie. I'll let her know. And any plans on season two then? You mentioned it earlier on. Uh, do we no. know if there's going to be a season two? I don't know for definite. Um, I know that the show's doing well and I know that they're talking about it. Um, and I know that there's a lot of ideas which I'm excited about should it happen. And uh, I know that were I to be a part of it, uh, it would be a big part of it. 
which would be exciting for me. So that is we'll awesome. See. That is awesome. And and lastly, before we wrap up, what is next for you, Joseph? What is next on the board for you? That depends on how quickly they get a bloody vaccine and, and make it safe. <laughs> don't they? Doesn't, I have, um, I've been considering a few things. I have, there's, I, like I said, I'm writing my horror film, which I really want to make, but the, the reality of making that is probably more like 2022 and then potentially season two of Brave New World, should that happen. There's another project that I may attach myself to, but that doesn't film until next year. So we'll see. I'm not sure about that yet. Okay. Uh, so it's up in the air. It's up in the air. There's nothing definite I can talk about or that I'm allowed to talk about at this stage, unfortunately. That is fine. Completely understand. And uh, the last thing, living in the States, what three things do you miss about the UK? Um, the pubs. Yeah. Really, the pubs. That was a brilliant thing about doing Brave New World, going back, getting a little cosy corner with a pint, you know, and they're not being flat screens everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, o- 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 open fire, you oh. know, a nice, a nice pint. Someone yeah. walk, walk in with their dog, you know, yeah. just, 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 just relax and just. That's yeah. it. That's it. Um, I miss that. I miss the English countryside, you know, with the weather, like the yeah. rain and the trees turning and the, you know, the hills of Wales. I, I, I love all of that. And then, of course, you know, the people, more specifically, like my family and friends. Uh, you, you know. Uh, most of whom are there so yeah those are the three things bless I, you bless I, you but we're all proud of you in the uk uh you're obviously doing a great job and uh, really looking forward to brave new world on the 2nd of october um uh, thank you so much for spending the time joseph thank you very much oh cheers thank you brian i really appreciate it, it was a real pleasure thank you You've been listening to Be More Super the Podcast. It was kind of a crazy fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. In my world, it means hope.